Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and today I am joined by Dan Squared. That's right, we got both the Dans. We got Dan Sadik and Dan Roach on the pod today. Fellas, how are we doing? Lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be on a pod that's not dead like uh, the cool zone. Oh, we are throwing barbs, coming in hot. We love to see that. Rip cool zone. Never again. Uh, but we are here today to preview the MLB season. Specifically, we're going to talk some Boston Red Sox baseball. It's been a chaotic offseason for baseball between the lockout, offseason moves before the lockout came into place, and the frenzy that ensued once the lockout concluded and spring training is now underway. We're about a week into spring training games and the regular season is upon us opening day, April 7th for the Red Sox will be in Yankee stadium against those dreaded Bronx Bronx bombers. So I think it's pretty much time that we get to it and preview and give our thoughts on the season that will be for the Boston Red Sox. Let's start first by just recapping sort of the team's off-season moves. Specifically, I'll start with the first move that took place for the team, which was right before the lockout came into place. The Red Sox traded Hunter Renfro to the Milwaukee Brewers for Jackie Bradley Jr. and a couple of prospects. So basically an outfielder swap. They knew they weren't going to be able or they didn't want to pay Renfro what he wanted to get paid. So they figured they would try and bring back an old friend, an old teammate, and get some prospects to add to the farm system in the meanwhile. So before I, I move on and get into the litany of free agent signings and departures, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the Renfro-JBJ swap? DR, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I think Renfro, right, he, I think, has two years left of arbitration. So I don't know that this was so much about, um, you know, salary or, or not wanting to pay Renfro what he what he's uh, going to get in those those meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, this is about the prospects, right? I mean, this is a classic. Um, JBJ had a really, really, really down year, and Hunter Renfro had a career year. I think both are due for some regression. I think the Red Sox agreed. Saw this as an opportunity to take on what is admittedly, you know, not a great contract with Jackie Bradley uh, to buy some prospects. And I think you saw a similar thing last year when they went and got Ottavino. I mean, that's a high uh, contract last year. Um, and they essentially bought a prospect off the Yankees. So to me, this is right in line with the high and bloom um, ideology of sort of flexing his big market budget to be able to, uh, to gain prospects and build that farm system. DS. Yeah. I mean, uh, not much there to add. Just, uh, you know, if you're going to do that, you might as well do it with a player with uh, JBJ, a guy that, you know, who grew up in your system could still give you something defensively. And they have uh, the guys that they don't have to rely on them every day. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. Now talking about the free agent signings and departures, let me start with the signings. Obviously the big one is that came in the last couple of days is the signing of Trevor story, six years, $140 million. The former shortstop for the Colorado Rockies is more than likely almost surely going to move over to second base and create a lethal middle infield combo with Xander Bogarts. But he was not the only one who came over. We also were able to sign a couple of pitchers in or starting pitching rotation pieces in James Paxton, one year, 10 million. He's got a couple of club options in there as well. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. So he likely won't slot in into the rotation until the second half of the season. The team also went out and signed Michael Waka and Rich Hill on one year prove it deals to fill out the rotation. Uh, You have a couple of relievers that we brought in. Jake Diekman is in, I believe, from the Astros. Uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong there. They also brought in Matt Strom from the Padres. Diekman was two years, eight mil. Strom, one year, three million. Uh, in terms that those were the big signings for me. Departures, 
we lost Kyle Schwarber to the Phillies, four years, $79 million. I, I mean, it, it seemed pretty clear that he was not going to be an option to return. The Sox also lost a couple of pitchers in Eduardo Rodriguez and Garrett Richards. Erod signing a fairly decent deal with the Detroit Tigers, getting five years, $77 million. And Garrett Richards went to Texas on another one-year deal, this time for 5.5 mil. A couple other names that left the team from last year. Jose Iglesias, who the team acquired towards the tail end of the season for the stretch run. He, he's headed to Colorado on a one-year deal. Adam Adovino, who DR mentioned, he's headed to the Mets on a one-year four-mil deal. And Martin Perez is headed back to Texas one-year four-mil. So with all that being said, obviously Trevor Story is the big name, the big uh, fish that the, the Red Sox were able to reel in. But are there any other additions, DS, that you kind of like or any other any of the losses that you're kind of concerned about going forward into this year? Um, it's not so much this year. It's what could unfold in the future. And I know we're not doing a pod on that per se right now, but, you know, it just makes you think, you know, the Trevor Story signing. And I don't want to, like, use his words against him, you know, but when he was brought in today, you know, he was talked about saying, um, you know, I'm excited to be, you know, a Red Sox to play second base this year. And, you know, I I don't know, like, if the plan is, like, if he's just, like, the fallback plan, if Bogarts is to go elsewhere after uh, next year. But, you know, focusing on this year, I'm just happy they did something. I was worried that they were going to sit out on every big name and even a guy like Trevor Story that they weren't going to pounce on. I thought they were for sure going to be um, heavy hitters on uh, Seiya Suzuki. He ends up signing elsewhere. Schwarber goes to Philly. Castellanos goes to Philly. Um, Freeman, obviously, to L.A. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of departures that are unfortunate, but um, Erod, I think, is the biggest one for me just because pitching – I think they'll find, but it could be shaky. You know, if you're relying on a guy like Rich Hill to give you any sort of starts, I think you're kind of grasping at, um, at straws. But, you know, uh, the lineup, I think, will um, will make up for their, their lack of uh, starting. So, DR, how do you feel about the signings and departures this offseason? Yeah, so I mean, a guy's walking out the door that I think you should be concerned about. Um, Erod on a very manageable deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something I really would have liked to see the Sox uh, do. Um, and that's unfortunate. I think, you know, some of the traditional metrics showed that, um, you know, he didn't have a good year last year and hasn't been developing the way that the Sox would have um, wanted. But, um, you know, I think there were a lot of, uh, of stuff done on some of the more advanced metrics that showed that he was a lot better than uh, some of the other traditional metrics uh, would have suggested. So um, I expect him to be really good for the Tigers. I think that's a great signing for them and a huge loss for this team at a position where um, the rotation has a lot of question marks. I think they'll be a little bit better than some people uh, suggest just because there's so many people um, that can really slot in. I think there's nine different people who could potentially start games this year. Um, You know, Sale will be healthy at some point. James Paxton at some point will be coming back from Tommy John. Um, I know he was one of the additions. Uh, you've got Hill, you've got Houck, uh, Connor Siebold, and, and Cutter Crawford are two kind of minor league guys who I think would come up. Uh, I think I'm, I'm missing Michael Waka um, and maybe, uh, of course, Evaldi uh, and Pavetta. So, I mean, I mean, the list is, is just so long. I think that um, even with, uh, you know, some of the older guys and injury concerns there, that um, they'll, be, they'll be okay. Um, not great, but they'll be okay. And th- this lineup is going to score a lot of runs. They'll be better defensively. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck has been much improved, uh, according to a lot of reports. I think Trevor Story will slot in fine at second base. Um, we'll see about the left side. I know a lot's been made about Bogarts one way or the other defensively. Um, I think Devers is, is a real question mark, though. Um, so I think we'll see. The the, the, the bullpen is something that um, I think I am more concerned about. I know uh, you lost Kyle Schwarber, and Ian Bloom talked a lot about getting a right-handed hitting uh, outfielder. So what? <laughs> um, honestly, I mean, JBJ is going to be your nine hitter. I don't really care what team has a great nine hitter besides like the Dodgers. Yeah. 
it yeah it's 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 tough to assemble one through nine and not have an easy out the dodgers seem to be the only team that's been that's able to say that they've done that right now so can't really fault anyone for slotting in whoever at the end um but i do want to get into that outfield uh jbj or jaron duran question mark in just a little bit um i think you hit it on the nail. The Erod departure is definitely going to hurt this team in terms of pitching death. I know that they brought in a, a plethora of veterans and they've got some guys on the come up in the, in the system that can fill in and, and eat some innings. But I, I think Erod's one of those guys who's proven yet shaky. And, but when he's on, man, he is a quality top of the rotation guy. I'm not saying he's a bonafide number one, but that's a guy that you can slot in number two at worst, number three, when he's pitching well, and he can deliver quality starts. You lose him to the tigers. And now with the sale injury that there, there's just a whole lot of question marks on who is going to, who's going to anchor this rotation at least in the early portions of the season. So that's yeah. going to be my concern for sure. Yeah. And I think to your, your point, I mean, people really should be overlooking the fact that, um, you know, he, he was, he was a straight up ace the year before uh, he got myocarditis mm-hmm. um, 200 innings. I think he finished really high in Cy Young voting. I mean, he was, he was trending really well. Of course he gets myocarditis. That's, that's a lost season there. Uh, and then I think he was a little bit underrated slash got unlucky, depending on how you want to you know term it. But uh, I think it's going to be a really good signing for the Tigers and a, and a big loss for this team. You know, he is your homegrown pitcher. Um, you know, the next is like Jay Groom, who's had tons of injury concerns. Like there's really nobody that's a homegrown pitching prospect coming up. Um, and Erod was that guy. I think he's going to be good for the Tigers and, uh, this team's going to miss him. Yep. 100% agree. Although if we look at some of the other, the one other move that I do want to sort of highlight is Jake Diekman. He has actually uh, pitched very well in his career. And I think he's a guy that I don't know if he's going to challenge for the closer role per se, but I definitely think he's going to be one of your main setup guys over the course of the season in tandem with the likes of Barnes and Garrett Whitlock. I think those are your top three relievers on this team going into the season. And at this point, any one of those three could open as the opening day closer. I think if I had to say, I would put Whitlock in there uh, just based on the total collapse of Barnes. But if you want to give Barnes another crack, I have no problem with that. But I wouldn't be surprised if Diekman ended up with a handful of saves this year as well, just based on usage. Yeah, I know Core talked a little bit about sort of not really naming uh, a closer again. Uh, and I think last year they, they, they had the same approach early on where it was going to be a committee. Um, they were going to pick the matchups, you know, whoever was pitching well, that type of thing. Uh, Barnes just pitched his way into and then subsequently out of uh, the closer role. Mm-hmm. Um, Whitlock, to me, I think is a candidate to be stretched out. We'll see what they do. He could transition. I mean, he's going to be good wherever they put him. Um, but I, I think you're right about Diekman uh, and Barnes. Uh, and I know that, that um, Cora definitely talked about Sauramora um, as being a big factor this year. So to me, I think it's whoever does, you know, well, you know, early on here and, and through spring training and, and even the first month, uh, month and a half of the season. Um, and then they'll sort of figure out um, a committee of, of closers or slash high leverage relievers is, is the way that I see that trending. I, I agree with you there. I, I'm more on a wait and see on Sabamora, although he definitely showed flashes of brilliance at times, but at others, it, it just looked like he has very much struggled with command. So let's let's hope he definitely took a stride forward and is able to be the guy and be a, in a position that he claims that he wants to be. Looking, before we get into the projected lineups across the board for the team this year, I, I do want to spotlight two other things. Uh, first the coaching changes uh, and just get your guys' quick thoughts on that. Peter Fats has been promoted to hitting coach. He was the assistant hitting coach the past two years. And Ramon Vasquez has been promoted to first base coach from quality control coach. They also hired a couple of other assistant hitting coaches in Luis Ortiz and Ben Rosenthal. Uh, I'm not exactly expecting you guys to know these names and what kind of impacts they could have. But if you guys have any thoughts on that, uh, I'd love to get them. Uh, DR. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't want to know them. <laughs> I think when you start to hear about some of the, you know, people behind the scenes that aren't necessarily uh, the pitching coach or the the the, the manager, uh, usually it's because they're doing something wrong. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I hope to to sort of not know these people. <laughs> Fair, DS. Any thoughts on that? Mm, pretty much the uh, the same as Dr. And you know, as long as uh, Cora is at the helm, I. Uh, I'm not going to worry too much about the nitty gritty there. Mm-hmm. And the other note that I do want to mention, of course, we, we brought up already the Chris sale injury. He suffered a stress fracture in his rib cage during a bullpen session. He has been termed week to week instead of day to day. So in all likelihood, he will be missing opening day and probably a chunk of April, if not all of it. Um, what kind of impacts DS do you think this will have on the team's ability to get out to a hot start? Um, so I'm not too worried about the team um, having a good start. I, uh, I'm just worried, worried about sale overall. Uh, I just, I think that early on this team, their lineup um is good enough to compete with just about any lineup in the league and their pitching as we saw last year it doesn't need to be perfect it just has to be good enough um to kind of get you by and to get you through say five or six and then have your offense right there um i think they can hit their way out of you know pretty much any sort of deficit i don't i'm not too worried about that i just think that chris sale it's time and time again with this guy, unfortunately. And, you know, a stress fracture in the rib is just very, very, very unfortunate, especially for a guy um, like himself. I, I just think that it's been the story of his Red Sox uh, tenure. You know, he just hasn't been able to keep it together. And this year is more of the same. Um, I hope that he can give them something when he comes back. I'd be more concerned about him in the long run, not sort of uh, the short term. I think they can figure it out short term. Long term, they might have to sort of work on the fly there because I'm not sure that it's a guarantee that he comes back um, fully effective. So, mm-hmm. DR, any thoughts on Chris Sale? Yeah, I think um, the thing that you got to like most about Chris Sale is his compete, his attitude, um, you know, just to how he is as a competitor. Unfortunately, I think that that's his biggest downfall um, for a guy whose frame and delivery is going to be conducive to sort of injuries like this, uh, you know, and needs to sort of pace himself. He just seems unable to control himself and, and work on the schedule that, um, you know, the team wants him to. I mean, how many times did we, did we hear that they were going to manage him early on and he was going to be thrown at 80%. And then it was, you know, May and he was throwing 99. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, not enough people are talking about until I hear that this was some freak accident, that that's why he got a, a rib fracture. This is that that's an overuse injury. That's this comes from overextending yourself. And I think that people should be asking the question, you know, what was Chris sale doing when the team couldn't talk to him during the lockout? Because my guess is he was just throwing every single day as much as he can, as hard as he could, because that's just who he is because he needs to be ready. And unfortunately, for just who he is and his durability, it's just going to lead to stuff like this. I guess the only saving grace is that, you know, maybe if the timetable pushes him back to early June, then maybe he starts hitting his stride right when you want for this team for this year. But just a bad signing. I love the guy's attitude. I love uh, his personality, but a bad signing. And unfortunately, I do believe that they gave him Mookie's money. Um, which is just too bad because I think that Mookie Betts could be here and, you know, for what Chris Sale has given you, um, you know, I think that they've, they've fared fine when he has often been injured. Yeah, looking at how he got injured, it was at the conclusion of a bullpen session down at his alma mater in Florida Gulf Coast University. More than likely, he was spending a good chunk of time there, like you said, probably day in, day out there. So it is at all possible uh, that he just was going pedal to the metal every day, trying to get into the best arm conditioning that he could. And as you mentioned, overextended himself because yes, yeah, stress fractures just don't happen. You just don't crack, crack a rib throwing a baseball normally. That's just not normal. So 
that that's a very unfortunate injury par for the course for Chris sale. Uh, but hopefully like Diaz said it, the Red Sox can kind of piece this together in the, in the short term and get him back in the fold for the long term, which is what they need. If they're going to have any sort of chances of a making the playoffs and B making another deep run in October. Looking now, now let's, let's take, turn our attention to the projected lineups for opening day. Let's, let's look at the, the starting lineup. I think you can go a couple of different ways with your starting lineup. Um, and I won't be overly, I won't be, I won't argue against it for say, but I think the main question mark for me is do you start Jaron Duran or JBJ? Who is going to get the majority or the starter share of the opportunities in that third outfield spot? Uh, Diaz, let me start with you. Who, who would you rather, JBJ or Duran? Um, I would rather uh, Duran um, just because you still don't really know exactly what you got there. You still got a raw guy that is fast, that can give you a lot of speed, can give you a pop at the plate. And I think JBJ right now, um, you just wait and see, you know, plug him when you, when you need him. If you like the matchup, plug him in there. If you need a defensive replacement, plug him in there, of course. But I just think that you got a guy in Duran that you want to see where he's at um, with his development. And if he has a lot of trade value, you want to see that too, for sure. Because coming down the stretch, this is another season where you might have to make a another type of Schwarber-esque move, whether it be on the offensive side or pitching uh, side of the ball. So I think you, you got to see where Duran is at early on. That's an interesting topic. Yeah. Putting Duran into lineup more so not just as much to see if what kind of trade value he has. Okay. It's just part of it. I mean, like, it's not like why you want him in there, but I think ultimately whether it's trade value or not, you want to like, you want to see where he's at developmentally. And a guy like JBJ, he's not going to win or lose you really many games. I obviously defensively, he is the best at like what they have. But I just think with Duran, it, you get more value at seeing um, where he's at and if he can, you know, have sort of a full season, you know, kind of manning that that guard there. See, I, I just with the, the way the Red Sox outfield depth kind of shakes up. I mean, they really don't have anything outside of the top four because J.D. Martinez as your DH. That's basically your fifth outfielder. And so if you're trading Duran, like you better be bringing in another quality outfielder into the mix. I'm, I'm guessing that's what you had in mind, but uh, that's obviously not the case with Schwarber last year. I mean, he, he was playing first base most of the time. So uh, that, that is an interesting topic of discussion. Uh, but DR, let me pose the question to you. Would you rather start, the year with Duran in the outfield mix or JBJ? Yeah, I'd, I'd say JBJ. And um, t- to me, if if Duran makes the the opening day roster, mm-hmm. um, he's going to be squarely on the bench for, I think, a little bit. Personally, I'd like to see him start down, um, work on a couple of things. He needs to refine his his contact. Um, you know, the, the power is there when, when, he, when he makes contact. And I know that um, when he was coming up last year, you know, he was sitting on a lot of fastballs. I think I'd like to see him, you know, be able to sort of hit major league level breaking balls. So I think that that's something I'd like to see him work on. I know a name they brought in would be Rob Refsnyder. Um, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about his background, but um, it seems like he is going to be the de facto fourth outfielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then based on, you know, how Duran is doing um, and, and maybe um, some of the other matchups uh, and, and Duran does bring a significant speed element. You know, he's really quick. So he's got a little bit of Dave Roberts in him. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I think JBJ is a lock to, to, to be out there more consistently, at least at the start of the year. 
Um, and I know he's been doing some work uh, hitting the ball the other way, which was kind of really his Achilles heel um, last year. So we'll see. I think that JBJ is going to be a little bit better this year. Um, and I think that he's going to be pushed by uh, this ref Snyder and, and Duran for, for spots out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with starting JBJ to start the year. I don't think you trade for, for him. You trade away Renfro for him just to put him on the bench. So I'm, I, I think you got to start JBJ just to see what you have in him. If it doesn't work out, then yeah, you give a guy like Duran or Ref Snyder another, an opportunity to, to see what they have. Uh, Duran didn't blow smoke, didn't blow any roofs off last year when he had the opportunity. He had a couple of moments, granted, but uh, he didn't really blow me away with what he showed at the major league level. So I, I definitely would lean with DR here. I think he could use a little bit more refinement before you give him an everyday role in the bigs. Uh, that being said, uh, whoever it is, I think that's they're going to be penciled in as your nine hitter. And so then the other questions become, how do you organize one through six? Because I think seven through eight should be fairly straightforward. Bobby Dalbeck should be your seven spot. Vasquez behind the plate, batting eighth. So I think the next question, and I'll lead with DR here, where does Trevor Story fit into the lineup here? Do you slot him maybe second behind TK, or do you put him somewhere in that five, five spot? Yeah, I, I'm going to put him squarely at second. Um, I think that they kind of like the um, Devers, Bogarts back to back, uh, and JD and, um, God, it's escaping me. Um, somebody else. Yeah. Verdugo. They, they like the, they like to play those two players together. So I think what makes the most sense is, uh, you know, Kike start off and then uh, story, uh, in that, that, that second hole. One thing I think I do want to talk about briefly, mm-hmm. you'll hear w- with Trevor story, people talk about the course field hangover effect. <laughs> I know it's there. People are just going to run wild with that story. And I think it's just so overblown. Um, you look at some other people who played uh, recent ex Rockies who, who played in course field uh, and had some pretty big uh, home and away splits, uh, just like Trevor story. I mean, very comparable would be DJ LeMahieu and, and Nolan Arenado. Uh, and, and since leaving uh, LeMahieu has been one of the best contact hitters, winning a battle title batting title. Uh, and I think 2020 for uh, New York mm-hmm. and, uh, Arnado, I think his average was like just okay last year, but he still hit 34 home runs. So I, I'm not worried about Trevor Story's ability to hit. He's a good player. Some of the, the stuff uh, with, with the home and away splits can be, and I think is rightfully explained by the, the altitude level, the way that the, the pitchers move uh, um, differently at that field, um, as well as, you know, their other division teams are, are right at sea level. So I think uh, like the average fastball loses fastball not even a breaking ball loses three inches of uh of movement um up in uh course field so i think i wouldn't sweat it i think he's going to play great here and i think that that he's going to be you know squarely in at the two spot yeah it is a small sample size for star players leaving colorado and and seeing what their splits kind of look like elsewhere but it's it's not as drastic you the yes the home the home splits will, will kind of regress a little bit to the mean, but the road numbers then also regress upwards towards a mean. So you do get a little bit of kind of a give and take, but there's nothing in recent history that points to any sort of Coors hangover, like you said. So I, I'm definitely excited about Trevor Story, and I would agree with you. I would, I would definitely put him in the two spot and kind of keep your three, four, five of Devers, Bogarts, JD there with Verdugo in the sixth spot. DS, do you concur with that, or would you go with a different sort of lineup combo? Yeah, no, uh, I think two is the right spot for him. I think you want as much pop at that part part of the lineup as you can have. And to the cores argument, yeah, like I totally agree with what you guys are saying about that. And also I think he made mention of this too when he was being introduced uh, today is, um, you know, the high altitude has an effect on the body as well. I mean, like, you know, that still has an effect on, you know, an athlete's, uh, you know, ability um, to perform. You know, it's a a different breathing at that level too. Um, And I don't think, 
you know, he's going to be affected too much by, you know, being out of course field, like DR said, like you guys have mentioned, guys like Arenado, LeMayhew, um, you know, I think the one guy you can point to where maybe it affected him, but I don't think it was necessarily cores. I think it was just where his career was heading. And that's uh, Troy Tulowitzki. But I think he was sort of trending in that direction anyways. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's a fair comp story, but it would just be something I would, you know, keep an eye on, you know, that's all. But um, yeah, I, 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 I don't think he's going to trend in that way. I think he's going to have a lot more success than some of the naysayers may think. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll also point out with the Troy Tulitsky example, he had major hip surgery, um, you know, shortly after leaving Coors Field. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm with UDS. I don't think that's a fair comp. Um, and I think I think the recent examples of Arnado and LeMahieu is what we should be, you know, expecting. Yep. Yeah, Troy Tulitsky was never quite himself in Toronto and elsewhere once he left Colorado. So that's definitely not a fair comp. I'm with you, you boys there. Uh, one last thing before we move into the pitching, uh, what kind of expectations do you guys have for this lineup uh, do, and what do they need to be in order to get back to the playoffs? Like, and what I mean by this is do they need to be like top five in run scored or top 10 and batting average? Like where, where do you see them in those kind of departments and where do they need to be to get to the postseason? Dan DS, I'll start with you. Yeah. I, I, I think they need to be right up there with some of the top offenses in the game. Uh, I don't think their pitching is going to be necessarily bad, but I don't think they have elite top level pitching or pitching that really is going to compete at the highest level, even in say um, the American league, you know, they're not, they're not a liability with their pitching, but I just think that if they want to make a true run, if they want to, you know, be out of the wild card, say this year and not have to play in that game this year, I think your, your, your offense has to be top five uh, and say run scored. Um, And do they have the ability to be that? Absolutely. I think there's no reason why they should not be a top five offense. Um, And especially with, you know, again, when we get down the road, if they have to make a move or two, you know, they, they should be, and they need to be, I would say a top five offense. If they're not, you know, with the money that they are able to spend, then that is unacceptable. They should be a top five offense. And if they want to win a world series or have a good bid at it, then they need to be that as well. And if they're not, then I don't like their chances. Do you agree with that DR? Yeah. I, so I'm kind of a, kind of a freak. I'm kind of a baseball weirdo. Um, and, and I think maybe it was a year, year and a half ago. I was bored. And I, I looked up where the Red Sox have ranked in terms of both, you know, some of the major um, hitting and pitching categories, uh, you know, the last 20 years. And they are within the top five, top seven in hitting in almost every major category, except for home runs, like almost every year. So I, the expectation for me, the lineup is as good as it's ever been. Um, I'm with, yes, this should be a top five. Home runs, I don't know if they have that that raw power, but I think uh, in runs scored, they should be around top five. Um, and I think one, one thing that, that needs to get talked about is this team did not have a lot of success on the base paths, base paths uh, last year. I think they had 40 stolen bases. Trevor Story alone had 20 last year. Jaron Duran maybe gets an increased role, and he's very, very quick. So I think that that'll bring another element to, to their offense as well. Um, pitching, that's going to be, I think... Uh, where this team season is, is made or break. Um, I think that, that they'll be able to sort of by committees last patchwork, have a decent rotation. We've seen that the high and bloom and some of these other analytic based uh, teams um, rely less on starters going deep. So I'd expect, I mentioned maybe nine or so guys who I think uh, could potentially, and probably most of will, most of them will start games at some point I'd expect uh a starter to go four five ish innings within maybe a long reliever taking two or three uh, before you get to sort of the, the bona fide uh, relief pitchers uh, on this team. So 
we'll see what happens there. I don't know that I can give you a firm expectation on that just because there's a lot of health concerns there. There's a lot of people. I think that they're just going to wait to see, you know, who's pitching well and who's not. Um, yeah. Yeah. For pitching, as we transition to the, the rotation and the bullpen, I, I definitely think it's, it's a wild card. It's, it's, it's going to be tough to really nail in any one person or one spot that has to excel in the, on the pitching staff in order for this team to go places. Obviously having a healthy Chris sale is somewhere at the top of the list and having not only a healthy Chris sale, but a dominant Chris sale, because that'll keep the bullpen fresh one out of every five or so games. Um, you're not going to have that at the start, but nobody really is going to have starters that are going to be extended greatly right off the rip. So I don't think you're at a necessary disadvantage there, uh, given the, the shortened spring training. Uh, but looking at what the rotation likely will be, Avaldi probably gets the opening day nod. And then from there, it's some combination of Hook, Hill, Pavetta, and Waka. I'm going to get Hook's name wrong like every other pronunciation so okay. bear, bear with me there um but between those five uh i think you just need just not so much uh length i think you need quality and so i will take like you said like dr said four to five innings of just quality like one run ball and and then just hope for the best with the bullpen even though the bullpen isn't exactly a, a strong point for this team either but it, at least early on until you're able to get chris sale back give me just five innings of, of quality ball from the starters and piece it together with the bullpen and from there i i just i just hope that a, a closer works itself out if you if you roll with the committee approach i'm okay with that uh, but i think kind of having defined roles in the long term is is what's best for the team. And so I, I do hope that somebody emerges as the bona fide clo go-to closer. Um, but early on, I am okay with letting it just be up for grabs. DS, what are your thoughts on the rotation and the bullpen? Yeah, uh, going to mirror a lot of like your same thoughts. I, you know, roles are nice to have down the stretch, but to, you know, start the year and get things going, you know, they're well, like DR sort of mentioned, like Heim Bloom sort of piecing together the, the rotation sort of patchwork. Um, you know, I think Hauk, like you said, is going to get uh, some stretch. Um, who knows, like Whitlock maybe gets a look or two or, or maybe he's able to provide you with like some mi like middle of the game depth and uh, be like a multiple inning type of guy again. Um in terms of the closing role, like it's going to be interesting to see what Barnes gives you. Um, I just, I don't know. Like I I'd say my biggest worry is that sale comes back and he's not dominant. Right. And then you just have to kind of like work, work with that and live with it, which isn't the worst thing, but like if he's like going out there and he's giving you like three, maybe four innings, then you have a really, really big issue. That is like a whole nother topic. But I would say overall, you it's just, you have to, I think you're walking a sort of thin, um, a thin line with your rotation. Like I said earlier, if you're relying on Rich Hill to give you, um, you know, any sort of, you know, starts, I don't think it's the greatest thing. If he's your fifth guy, you know, it could be worse, but, I would really like to see how things develop with Hauk um, and say Pavetta and others, but um, yeah, it's not great. Um, I just think if, if sale sales, the big X factor, right? If sale can come back and be 85% of sale, then you got a pretty good, a pretty good slot there with Yavaldi and sale. Um, and then the rest you can kind of figure out in peace, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't feel great about it, but you know, it's more, it's, pretty much the most up in the air uncertainty on the scene, I think. Yeah, I think Avaldi um, and Pavetta, you need those guys to be healthy and you need them to be good this year. Avaldi, um, I think 
when they first signed him, uh, Dombrowski did it, and then he was hurt like that year, and everyone was like, oh, God. But since then, he has been steady and, and really healthy and, and great for this team. Um, and you need another good season out of him. I think Pavetta has been steady and a really great acquisition by Bloom. Uh, and you need another good season from him. Um, so that's two starts out of your five days right there. I think if you can get to, to four, you'll be okay. So without sale, because um, I'd like to see him come back maybe as expected or maybe even later. Because that to me is telling that he's taking the time and rehabbing correctly. And that when he does come back, he's just not going to be back for two weeks before he goes uh, down again. Yeah. So um, right now I, I'm not thinking about sale. And I think that between Waka Hill and Hauk, you'd like to get two, two of those guys emerge and be, and be solid. I think you, you have to get one of those guys. I think just, you will get one good start out of the three of those guys. Um, and, and if somebody's struggling, then, you know, they'll get relegated to a smaller role or, or something like that. But um, after that, I mean, there are a lot of question marks. You know, Connor Siebold is, he came over in the Pavetta deal. Um, I don't think he's quite ready yet, but he pitched, I think, pretty well um, down last year. Cutter Crawford is a name, you know, maybe they stretch out Whitlock and put him in. I think that there are options on this team. Um, and it just comes down to who they're going to be and how good they're going to be. Um, because there will be some duds, but I think the law of averages and, um, and just the way that that'll work out, I think they'll be okay. Um, and, and they, they need to have Evaldi and Pavetta. If one of those guys goes down for a significant time or, you know, just doesn't have it this year, um, the, this, this team's rotation will be in trouble. One thing I wouldn't count out. I think this team could still make a move. I know the athletics uh, reached arbitration with uh, Montez, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, yeah. Frankie Montez. Yeah. So I think I would be, I'd be shocked if, and, and maybe I even have a little inside th- those discussions are happening. Um, I don't know that, that, that they'll be fruitful, but this team, you know, is, is one that, that continually explores options and they know that that's a weak point. So I, I think that there is a chance that um, something could happen. But, um, you know, how likely is, is, is up in the air. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to point out is even if they bring in a guy like Montez and they don't really give up anything in the current projected rotation, you, the Red Sox and and Alex core are very comfortable at slotting a guy from the rotation to the bullpen and letting them figure things out that way. You saw it last year with Martin Perez, um, uh, I forget who the other guy uh, was that did that. Uh, it's slipping my mind. But they did that with two of their starters last year where they just didn't have a spot in the rotation for them once everyone got healthy, and they just slide them into sort of uh, an early innings role in the bullpen. And it worked at times. It didn't work at times. But their, their willingness to do that and kind of transition roles and not – have their rotation locked in like it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if waka isn't dominant or doesn't you know blow doors that maybe when sale comes back that he could be the guy that gets kicked out of the rotation and you see him as kind of like a guy that kind of enters in like that fourth fifth inning and kind of bridges you into the later stages of the bullpen um I think it's also interesting that you bring up Garrett Whitlock as a potential guy that could be stretched out into a starter role DR. Uh, He he was a very versatile pitcher last year, whether it was filling in in a few closer opportunities or save situations or being that guy that came in to bail you out in like the fifth or sixth inning and then give you an additional inning or so after that. So I think Whitlock has proved that he is a very versatile pitcher and if you want to stretch him out, I, I'm okay with that. But given that the bullpen isn't exactly a strong point and he was one of your lone bright spots last year in the bullpen, I think you do want to kind of try and maintain him in some sort of bullpen role. Whatever that role is, I'm okay with. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I know this team is just going to be one that they're going to have a lot of guys stretched out. I mean, you, you can see it. Uh, and if you've been watching spring training, I think Garrett Whitlock is, is primed to be one of those guys. And, you know, if they get in trouble, you know, he's an option to, to explore, you know, slotting in as part of the rotation. So 
I think if not, you're, you're, you hit the, the nail on the head. He, head. Uh, he, he's somebody who can come in, get you out of jam, and then all of a sudden go around and pitch the next inning uh, and, and give you that, that reprieve. So high leverage or an emergency uh, rotation guy. I mean, a big pickup. I know that they did uh, snag somebody else off waivers from, I think, the Angels, Tyler, something. So I think, you know, just a little fun thing to explore. You know, maybe he's somebody that, he's this year's Garrett Whitlock, um, mm-hmm. you know, just some nobody that we don't, we don't know about that uh, can turn it on. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's kind of wrap things down here. I think we got two more uh, segments here. Let's, let's wind down with just our overall team expectations this year. Bovada has listed the Boston Red Sox over under for season wins at 87 and a half. So DS, I will start with you. Uh, given that number, do you think the the team will be over or under that? And then on top of that, kind of give me what you think the floor and the ceiling is win wise for this team. Yeah, I I saw that. I I, I saw as, uh, over unders as low as like eighty four. Um, I disagree. I, I I will take the over. I mean, they were ninety two and seventy last year. Um. You know, I think they're somewhere around that win total again this year. Their ceiling, I want to say, is about, you know, 96 to 98 wins. Um, I think that's a high benchmark, though. I think they ultimately finish around what they did last year, 92 to, you know, 94 wins. And, sorry, uh, the AL East is, is tough. I mean, they have their work pretty much cut out for them. Uh, big time. It's a very tough division and their floor, I would say is probably close to that 87, 88 range. Um, you know, I don't know. Some would maybe say a little lower, but I don't think so. I, I, I think that this team is going to be good enough to where um, they would be buyers come trade deadline and uh, kind of similar to last year. I don't think that they're going to um, be in a spot where they're not competing for a playoff spot. And I do think that even if it's the wild card, um, they're going to end up being right there in the mix, um, whether it be at the lower end of 90s or more towards the middle. Um, I do think ultimately, you know, if, you know, gun to my head, I would say 93 wins. So that would put them at uh, 93 and 69. Um, so somewhere nice. around there. Yeah, nice. DR, what? Give me uh, your thoughts on the overall team expectations are in the floor and a ceiling for the team. Yeah, so it, it it's tough. The AL East as a whole got got a lot better. Um, I think I'd have to put this team right around the ninety bark. I think eighty seven is not a bad number. Um, and when you look at it last year, I think the pitching wasn't the 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 greatest in the world. Um, I think they did have some saving graces uh, in the bullpen. He also got career years out of Hunter Renfro and Kike Hernandez. I think that JBJ is not going to be able to do what Renfro did last year. I think that Kike is probably due for some regression. Um, I think he only hit 250 for the year, I want to say, but uh, he had some pop and uh, definitely showed up in clutch moments. You also add Trevor Story, and you still have Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, and Devers, which is just scary. Uh Verdugo is somebody that this team expects uh, and thinks and believes will take a big jump this year. So I think this team will be good. Um, 87 is not a bad number. I think I'd go a little higher. I, 84, I, I would definitely bet over. I'd probably say a low of, you know, if, if they have some struggles and some things go wrong with the rotation, like really wrong, I think that they could be around 80 as, as a floor. But I think that their ceiling is probably 95, 97 in, in that range. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna take the over as well, but barely. I'm I'm thinking like 88, 89 wins on the season. I until I see the 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 pitching staff kind of piece it together and instill some confidence in me. I, I just don't know if I can see this team in such a loaded division uh, get over the ninety win mark. Um, I think the floor is right about eighty. So I'm with you there, DR. I, I think if the pitching staff just 
isn't able to figure it out whatsoever. And maybe you have some injuries on across all fronts, hitting and pitching wise. And you, I could definitely see a 500 season or just slightly below, but that would be worst case. I think best case, I think this team could actually push for a hundred wins, but that, that is assuming everything goes right. Hitting is like top two in the league in terms of runs scored. And then you get basically not so much career years, but you're getting renaissance years from guys like Michael Walker and Rich Hill. They're in terms of Rich Hill, he's finding the fountain of youth one last time. Pavetta and Evaldi having another strong season. And then you get Chris Sale back right around where you expect him. And he immediately becomes a dominant ace. And then bullpen wise, obviously they figure things out and they actually put up probably top 15 in the MLB in terms of bullpen ERA. I think if you get something like that, where you don't really have a weak point, uh, I think you could definitely see this team push for close to triple digits. But I, I think you need everything to go right in that case, which leaves us with the final point before we end with DR's prospect breakout. And that is, is this a playoff team? And how, if so, how far can the Red Sox go in the postseason? Obviously, with the expanded postseason, there is now there are now three wild card teams, which means there is a wild card round. Wild card game itself is no more. There is a wild card round where the worst division winner will host the worst wild card team, the sixth seed, in a best of three. And then the top two wild card teams will play each other in a best of three before they move on to the division round. So that being said, uh, Diaz, give me your thoughts. Is this a playoff team? And if so, how far can they go? Yeah, so this is a playoff team, um, most certainly, um, especially with the expanded uh, postseason. They, oh, I was... it... oh, a little technical difficulties. Yep, little, little technical difficulties <laughs> on PS's part. Uh, DR, continue. Um, yeah, I think that they're a, they're definitely a playoff team. There's no doubt about it. Um, and um, as far as how, how far they can go, I mean, if this team catches fire, this the ceiling is the limit. They can definitely win it, uh, and it's in them. If they don't make the playoffs, that's going to be a massive disappointment. Um, I think that... There are some question marks and some legitimate question marks around uh, Bogart's future next year. I think you're going to hear a lot of Boris grandstanding. But focusing on, on 2022, you have both Story uh, and Bogart's for this year. This this lineup is going to be scary. Um, barring you know a major injury, this, this is going to be right up there with uh, some of the, the best run-producing uh, offenses in the league. And... and if the right guys catch fire, they they can legitimately contend. Mm -hmm. DS, have you figured out your technical difficulties? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say they're also a playoff team. Uh, like DR said, you got the expanded playoffs. The team hasn't changed um, too, too much uh, over the course of the past year. And again, you add a guy like Trevor Story. And I think their pitching will figure itself out. Their offense is going to be one of the um, top producing run scoring offenses in the league, in my opinion. And who knows, as long as they're doing well enough, uh, come late July, I think they'll add. So, yeah, uh, I think they're a playoff team. And as long as they're a playoff team, I think the, uh, these Red Sox have a chance at winning the World Series. Um, it's just going to be extremely difficult, I think, Um you know, with how much better the division has gotten, the Dodgers, we all know they're, cho they're choking dogs in the playoffs, but they are stacked. I mean, they are beyond stacked. And I low-key think the Angels might, might kind of not, might not make a run, but I think they're going to be flirting with playoffs and maybe um, a deep playoff run as well. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know, but I, I do think that uh, the Red Sox, do have a playoff run in them. If they don't, massive, massive uh, disappointment if they don't. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you guys. I do think it has to be a disappointment on some level if the Red Sox do not make the playoffs, given the investment they have made uh, to the lineup. But with the pitching concerns, or in terms of just the lack of top-end pitching options, I, I do think they do have a ceiling in the playoffs, and I'm not sure if they can quite get back to the World Series uh, if they are in a, a very good position in July, or maybe they're like in one of those wild card spots, I would like them to kind of, and, and pitching is, is a struggle. And that's the one point where they do, I would like them to tr- kind of address that at the deadline, but that's, that's neither here nor there at this time. Uh, I, I think just looking at it right now, I think this should be a playoff team. They should get one of the wild card spots at a minimum. And if they get in, then yes, they can definitely win a couple of series. I just don't know if they have enough firepower in the pitching staff to get all the way to the World Series right now. That is my only concern right now. Uh, finally, let's let's turn it over to DR, and he's going to give us a breakdown of the up-and-coming prospects in the Red Sox farm system. DR, take it away, my man. Here, DR. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that this is the uh, the order of the top prospects, but these would be some people that you might see this year. Um, so you you won't see uh, Marcelo Meyer or Nick York on this list just because um, as good as they are uh, or as good as they project to be, they're not going to be in the majors this year. Um, first and foremost, I think Tristan Cassius is the one to talk about. He'll be up um, and he's going to be competing with uh, – with Dahlbeck for first base. Uh, right now, I think that job is Dahlbeck's, but um, Cassius is the number two first baseman prospect in baseball, number 16 uh, overall. Um, depending on who you ask, he's the number one or two uh, in the Sox system. Former first-round pick. Uh, he's only 22 years old. He flashed uh, last year uh, in the minors in both AAA and AA, and, and he really was a storyline uh, in the, the uh, USA Silver Olympics um, last year. Originally comes up as a third baseman, but you got Devers there blocking him. So he's been transitioning over to first base, uh, really athletic, uh, strong arm. I'd say that's probably his best attribute is, is his arm, um, which is a little limited at first base, but, uh, nevertheless, um, I think he, he projects as, um, you know, a ceiling of uh, a star corner infielder. Um, the thing to watch out for that he needs to work on is just, um, you know, keeping his body in shape sometimes with those bigger guys, they can kind of break down over time. Um, and he needs to work on contact a little bit. Uh, you know, not, not quite as bad as Bobby Dalbeck, but you know, similar kind of, uh, power, but contact issues. Um, but a lot of people compare him to JD Martinez. He's a student of the game, just kind of really a grinder and works on, on his, his craft at the plate. So he'll be up. I think that's going to be really exciting. Um, and you know, especially if Dalbeck is faltering, I think you'll see him sooner. Um, then later, but uh, he'll definitely be up this year. Jaron Duran came up last year. Uh, he is the 85th uh, prospect in all of baseball right now. Uh, he's 25, so he's a little bit older. Um, I think his ceiling is an everyday center fielder. Um, this year, you know, he's a potential fourth outfielder. Um, again, we talked about it earlier, but he needs to refine uh, his, his approach at the plate a little bit uh, and then sort of adjust to big league uh, pitching. Um, and he is very quick. I think that he could potentially steal 20, 25 bases um, if he was in an everyday role. Jeter Downs is also somebody you could see this year. Um, he's the number six uh, prospect in the Sox system. He's 23. He came over in the Mookie Betts trade. Um, I think this year, uh, best case, he's a bench middle infielder. Um, if story or Bogarts, uh, you know, tweak something or, or just need a, a day off. Um, but he did struggle last year. Uh, a lot has been made about, um, you know, him not doing so well, uh, a little bit of a controversial, I think prospect, but, um, I think what happened is he lost a season during, um, COVID he jumped from single a all the way to triple a, uh, and he struggled a little bit, uh, early on. Um, he did well at the, at the end of the year. I think he hit like 350 over his last like 10 games or something like that. But, um, you know, he just needed time to adjust. I wouldn't be so down on him and I wouldn't write him off. Sure. Yes. Nick York, uh, has been lighting it on fire, but I still think that there's a lot of value with Jeter downs. Um, and you could see him, um, 
best case in like a, a Zue Lin role this year. Um, and he does have some versatility. He could slot in in the outfield uh, if, you know, he, he, he starts to figure out his hitting um, and he can play pretty much anywhere in the infield except first base. Uh, he's not the fastest, but um, he's shown good instincts on the base pass. Uh, Connor Seabold would be uh, the other prospect who came over from the Phillies in the uh, Nick Pavetta trade uh, where we, the Sox gave up Workman and Hembry. Um, I think he could be a fifth starter or like a stretched out long reliever at some point. Um, best case, he really only projects as like a third or fourth starter. Um, he really has, has good command and control. Um, he's lacking just like a plus pitch. He's got three kind of okay pitches or average pitches. Um, and it, his, his change of pass flashed at times. And that's, that's what's going to make or break him, um, his progress level. Um, so if he can sort of figure out how to, how to pull the string on that, like he did, uh, two years ago, I think he'll be up this year um, and be a factor uh, for this team. Josh Winkowski, uh, is, is another, um, pitcher. I think he slots in very similar to, um, what Connor Seabold could project. So he could come up and be a bulk starter or a bulk reliever or a starter. Uh, he came over in the Andrew Benatendi trade and he pitched really well down in the minors last year. Good velocity. Um, I think his pitch ability and, and command need a little bit of work. Um, but um, I think he pitched really well last year and, and it could be up. Um, Connor Wong, a uh, f- friend of the pod. Um, I think he was up last year. He hit really well uh, in limited sample size. Um, I think best case is a depth catcher, uh, barring injury. Um, and the real ceiling and value with Connor wrong is, is he can play in a lot of different positions. So, um, catcher third base or second base, which, um, sort of brings this super utility versatility. And, and that's really kind of the value there. Um, he does need to work on, um, his hit tool. I think he's got good power. Um, so I, you'll see him this year. It's just how frequent, um, and, and whether or not he can sort of refine uh, his contact at the plate. Cutter Crawford, uh, he is a mid-20s prospect. I don't think he's going to project to be much uh, ceiling of like a high-quality swing man. Um, but this year, maybe just as a middle reliever, uh, if things go right. Um, he's got a good fastball um, and a curveball, and he's working on a cutter. Um, but he's got some injury history, and uh, I think his his – his delivery are a little funky. So I don't think that he would uh, really be a bulk guy or, or, or ever make his way to the rotation. Uh, and then the last guy would be Edward Bizarro. He came up last year. I think he pitched okay um, as, as a middle reliever. He is an international free agent. So they signed him, I think, 2014. Um, it, best case, he'll be like maybe high leverage inning. But I think that um, if he does come up, it's because they're struggling and they need an arm and he'll be just sort of a, an innings eater, middle reliever. Um, his command is, is needs improvement. Um, and his, his, his breaking pitches are good, but, um, they're just not consistent enough. They're, they're sort of, they just break kind of differently a lot and, and some are harder and some are softer. And I think he just needs more consistency there to be able to separate himself. Um, so those are the guys that you might see this year. Um, yeah. Now, I I love all of that. Uh, I like uh, the fact that you harped on the fact that Jeter Downs uh, has – there's been a lot made of, of him, and he's going to be the guy that I've got my eyes on. Obviously, he's blocked now completely by the story Bogart's middle infield duo, uh, at least for one year. Um and but he, he does have versatility, like you said. So maybe he finds his way in a platoon role, at least at the big leagues. But I think the major question that I do want to ask you, given all of that, Dr., is how many of those guys do you think will get a, a crack at the big league roster before the September call-ups? Uh, Cash is for sure. He will be up. I think Duran should be up. Downs, I, I he is it. it it depends how well he um, is doing. I, he showed some patience at the plate so far. Um, he's worked, I think, a number of walks down in spring training so far. So that's good. But um, and, and the defense is there. It's, it's, it's good. So uh, I think he's somebody that if he's if he's doing well, that he'll be up. If he's not, then they'll sit on him. Um, Seabold, I think I think you could see him as well. Um, he did not have an, a great outing today, but um, 
I think you could see him or Winkowski. I don't know that you see both. I just don't think they have room for both. Um, I think those two are like sort of competing with each other. And if one of those guys is doing well, like I said, Winkowski had a really good year last year. Um, it's really wherever they can progress um, this year uh, to, to, to make a push. And like I said, it's, it's, if the bullpen is fine and they don't need the help, then you probably won't see these guys. I do think there will be opportunities in both the bullpen and the, the, the rotation uh, though. Connor Wong will be up. Um, Cutter Crawford, I'm not sure. And, and Eduardo, Eduardo Bizardo, not sure. I think maybe they could come up if there was an injury for like a couple of days and you might, you know, all of a sudden there's some guy on the mound. You're like, who the is this guy? Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't bet on Crawford or Bizardo to be up. Wong for sure, I think is up. Downs, not so much. Uh, but but Wong, Duran, and Cassius are the three that I think you would definitely see uh, up at some point this year. Yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely with you in the fact that you probably won't see the majority of the, these guys for the most part until maybe a late September call up, unless injury or just overall suckiness from the guys ahead of them on the death chart. Um, DS, do you have any thoughts on the farm system and the prospects we've got? Um, nothing to really add too much. I just hope that, you know, I just hope that Bloom isn't afraid, you know, when the time comes to, to move any pieces, you know, should the right, you know, trade be there. Um, but I would say, like, you know, guys that I would love to see them not trade would definitely be Cassis on the top of that list. Downs, you know, I don't, I don't really have a soft spot for just because, like, I, I look at a guy a little bit lower in uh, Marcelo Meyer um, that I think would probably take priority there. Um, I know he's further away, but um, yeah, I I just hope that Bloom isn't. Uh, too afraid to to maybe move any of those pieces, you know, should the trade be there for it. Alrighty. I think that's going to do it for this episode of Fixin to Talk Sports. Want to thank both DS and DR, and they'll be back for another episode where we preview the MLB season as a whole. So for Dan Sadik and Dan Roach, we'll see you next time.